Welcome to Calvary Chapel The Rock's podcast. Here in the last chapter of the book of Acts, we get to see a few of the reasons why the gospel experiences such explosive growth during the first century. Please join us now as Pastor Ross brings an encouraging message entitled, Shake It Off. Alrighty, let's get started. You can make your way, make your way to Acts 28. We are finishing up our our journey through the book of Acts. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and what an amazing journey it's been, filled with such wonderful insights. And we look forward to much of the same as we look at chapter 28, most of it uh, this morning. Let's ask the word uh, of prayer and God's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here by your Holy Spirit, We thank you for arranging this time, Lord, for sovereignly calling certain people to be here, to hear a certain message on a certain day and a certain hour uh, for a specific reason, to encourage, to correct, uh, to exhort us. You have something good for all of us here, Lord. Help us to to catch it, not to leave uh, without uh, hearing what it is your, your still small voice has to say to us through these words in Jesus' name, amen. amen. For those of you who know me, uh, you know something about me that I'm not a real fan of critters that slither along the ground. I don't even want to say the name of them, snakes. Ew. Uh, now, I don't have problems with heights, and I don't have problems with insects of any kind. And I don't have a problem uh, with public speaking, which, <laughs> by the way, is the number one phobia uh, in America. How many of you would put up with snakes uh, rather than stand up here this morning and speak? <laughs> yeah, see? I'm feeling better already. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, me and snakes, not a good mix, you know, and let me tell you a couple good stories here. One of them, uh, Memorial Day Picnic, and there was a garter snake going through the grass, and I guess one of the junior hires noticed my reaction. (laughs) So he picked it up by the tail and started chasing me. (laughs) God provided a way out my parked car. I got in my car, I locked the doors, and I was happy. It didn't matter. I would stay in there a couple days. I'm not coming out. I don't care. You know, it was that or, or take the bat in the back of my car and start defending myself with the junior hire. <laughs> Let me tell you, Yet another one happened to friends of ours. Uh, Margaret Hulk, some of you may know her. She lives out in Nicasio with her family, and she tells the story. Uh, 13-year-old Emily 
came into the house, they live out in the country, with a very large gopher snake by the tail. And there it was doing its thing. And she ran into the house, and Margaret screamed, and it scared Emily, and she dropped the snake on the ground. And guess what? They couldn't find it in the house. I said, Margaret, stop right there. That's when you move out of the house. That's when you get a hotel room. That's when you put the house on the market because there's no way, don't even tell me that you turn out all the lights and you went to bed in that house not knowing where. A gopher snake is not like a garter snake. They're mean. They'll bite. You know, you want, oh. (laughs) I got a microphone for you up here. Come on. That's so easy. I thought so. All right. So, so really, I said, listen, the only way you'd get me in that house, a few conditions. One, that it burned to the ground and that you rebuilt it. You know, there's no, can you imagine getting up at night? I don't think so. That's not going to happen. Can you imagine anything you felt at night? I just, I'm, how many are you with me? It's pretty much I'm moving out. <laughs> all right, mostly all girls. <laughs> so, no. Okay, thank you for sharing. All right, thank you. Well, this service is really getting out of hand. <laughs> I deserve it. So, here's what Margaret says, Mimi. Listen to this. Margaret says, "Well, three months later, we were sitting, me and a girlfriend." having tea on the couch when all of a sudden up from one of the cushions came the gopher snake and slithered across both of our laps. The teacups both went flying and we both stood up screaming. And I said, so you found the snake? She goes, no, then we couldn't find it. (laughs) Probably to this day, they can't find the gopher snake. And that is why I shall never visit that family. Well, you may be suspecting that there's a snake involved in this morning's text. And guess what you suspect? Right. A real one. A viper. Now, context. Paul's on his way sailing to Rome, as most of you know. But if you missed last week, then Paul is in chains for his faith. Um, He's to stand trial before Caesar. He appealed his case to Caesar, and to Caesar he's going. But the ship that he's on has encountered a fierce hurricane, and they battled that for two weeks on the open seas. The Egyptian cargo ship now that they're on has struck ground and has shipwrecked near the shore of some beach, Paul and all those aboard have survived according to the gracious promise God made through an angel to the Apostle Paul. They're all alive. Now, some are swimming to shore. Some are drifting to shore, clinging to uh, debris and wreckage. We find them now, as we look to the text, pulling themselves up out of the water, glad to be alive. Now, what? more could possibly go wrong in the life of Paul the Apostle. Verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. 
Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they say to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. (laughs) Let's pause there. Now... Here we are in the last chapter of the book of Acts. We are on the way to Rome, and we've had a three-month now. We are going to have a three-month delay here. The shipwreck on the shores of now Malta. They didn't know they were on Malta. They're familiar with the island, but uh, they usually come in through the main port, Valida, there. But now they're on some obscure beach, and they find out, boy, here we are on Malta, 58 miles south of Sicily. I have a map for us just to uh, orientate you. Here we are here, 50 miles from Sicily and uh, in between uh, the northern coasts of Africa, uh, there's Malta. And so they're going to be there now for about three months because that's the winter time when the sea lanes would be closed. And so they encounter, according to your text, uh, way-friendly natives. Now, the word in the Greek for the kindness that these islanders show is the word that we get uh, philanthropy from. And so uh, the love of humanity, this kind of unusual kindness uh, of these native people. And so chapter 28, we have a a slide uh, showing the whole journey. Chapter 27 took us from Caesarea, right? up the coast on a coastal ship right about here at Myra. They changed to that ship that actually was sunk. So they they take that ship. They they encounter a hardship here. Paul tells them right here, uh, don't even think about it. And they defy that God-given word. And they go out to sea. They spent two weeks going up and down in the dark. And then they shipwreck on the beach. That's chapter 27 all the way to the beach of Malta. Now 28 is from the beach. Now three months we'll hear what's gone on. And then chapter 28 goes all the way to Rome, which is at the end of the book of Acts. Now, what a journey it's been through 27 chapters of how the gospel went from a few people in Jerusalem to millions of people in 30 years. From chapter 1 to 28, 30 years have gone by. And the gospel is pretty much, the, the whole Roman Empire has been evangelized. And you have churches in, in diverse places all over the place. Now, here in these few paragraphs that we're going to take a look at, I, I really find invaluable insights. And I, and I think as we look at these few verses, you're going to see why... Paul the Apostle, and why the gospel was so effective. We're going to take a look at just a few issues here, even on the beach, to get us started uh, to see what the three keys that are behind uh, effective ministry, 
on a productive Christian life and effective world uh, evangelism. I've got three points as usual. So if you're taking notes, the verses we just read, the invincible attitudes of the messengers of the gospel. How uh, How do you explain Paul's productivity with the gospel it's a lot to do with his attitude and we're going to take a good look at that right now the second thing is this invincible gospel Uh, there's nothing you can do to stop it it just keeps going and thirdly we're going to see the invincible bond of Christian love there's nothing quite like the supernatural poured out from heaven love of Christ that that is the bond that that, uh, inspires us to serve the Lord with great fervor. So let's take a look at this invincible attitude as revealed by a couple things Paul does on this beach that really says, I want to be like that. If you want to be like the Apostle Paul, you're going to have his attitude because attitude will make you or break you. It doesn't matter who you are or how accomplished or gifted you are. It's really about attitude. Charles Swindoll has that beautiful piece about attitude. Let me read it to you. The longer I live, he writes, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home, or a Christian ministry. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you, my friends. We are in charge of our attitudes. That is Chuck Swindoll, and it's a very famous quote and uh, easy to find if you're looking for it on the internet. Now, first thing we see, and I want you to catch the attitude of the Apostle Paul, is the humble attitude of a servant. The humble attitude of a servant. This is the secret to Paul's success. Now, as always, Paul is going to make himself useful because that's what servants do. They have an agenda. It's not about their life. A true slave or servant, and the word is slave uh, as it relates to our relationship with the Father. He is master, right? And, And what matters is not my life or my comfort or even my prayer requests. What really matters, really, is that the master's will gets done by we who are his servant. So the bonfire's dying down. And man, did that ever feel good? They've been sopping wet for weeks. They're cold and shivering. The text lets you know it's cold and rainy. It's miserable. And they've been through such an ordeal. They feel so good to have that blaze of heat warming into their inner beings, you know? So, But the fire needs stoking, Right? And everybody's exhausted, they're waterlogged, they've been weakened. 
Those guys have not eaten for two weeks. Who wants to leave the comfort and the warmth of that beautiful warm glow and go traipsing out looking for some dry kindling in a rain-soaked lagoon? I do. Let me go get the wood. Paul, dude, uh, you're kind of responsible for everybody being alive. (laughs) You know, you take responsibility everywhere you go. You're serving, serving, serving. Just give it a break, man. Ah, Let me serve you. You guys keep your, your toes all warmed up by the fire. Let me go serve you guys. Wow. Well, he knows Jesus' teaching. John chapter 13. Jesus says, listen, I'll just tell you what God thinks is the greatest thing of all. It's the person who does the job that nobody else wants to do. It's the person who's other-centered. Because in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, the Lord says, even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom payment for everyone. And then he said, let me show you what that means. So as at the Last Supper, they're all sitting around and they're arguing who, which one of them is the greatest one? So the Lord said, oh, this is perfect. There was no servant there to wash all of their dirty, dust-ridden toes. And so the Lord stands up, and he puts a towel around him, and he takes a wash basin filled with water and soap, and he washes each one of their feet. He says, I'm the Lord. You call me Lord, and, and it's true, I am. But if, if I could serve you by washing your dirty feet. How much more? You're not above me. You're not, the, the student or, or the, the mentee isn't above the mentor. How much more should you be willing, if I'm God in the body and I'm doing these kinds of things, shouldn't your life be all about serving? If that's why I came, to serve. That's all I'm thinking about, serving God, serving the Father, serving the Father. What's the best thing What's needed right now? That's how I live my life. And Paul said, he's going to practice what he preached because he knows this, because Jesus said, now that you know these things, John chapter 13, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed or the word happy if you do them. The secret to a happy life is being other-centered. The secret to a happy life is being other-centered. The secret to a happy, healthy, whole-minded approach to life is being a servant, to being other-centered, to not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, but to consider others. This is how Paul put it in chapter 2 to the Philippians. He writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He's sitting at the fire going, everybody around this fire is better than me. Everyone around this fire, the prisoners sentenced to Rome to die in Rome. He's on appeal. The rest of those prisoners are condemned to death and they're going to be used for entertainment purposes as they watch the lions eat them. Everybody here is better than me. I'll get the wood. Each of you shouldn't look to your own interests, but also uh, to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
God in a body made himself nothing. Who are you? I'm a nobody. That was his approach. The greatest somebody of all is saying, I'm really just here to serve the Father. In fact, I don't say or do anything that he hasn't really told me to do. I'll just take my marching orders. That's my life. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Wow. Well, what benefits, you know, Paul knows the benefits, you know. Uh, Servant-minded people who have the attitude of, I'm just a humble servant of the Lord. You know, I'm going to trust God with all the details of my life. And when, when I see him face to face, we'll work all of that, all the complications out. But for now, I'm his servant. You know, they, they have little time to build resentment, to complain, to make a long list of all the hardships he's experienced. He doesn't have time for that because it's not about him. It's about Christ and God's purpose through him. You know, I, I, do you picture him gathering the wood? Right Now, if it were us, we would be gathering the wood on a good day, and then we would be singing, as we're gathering the wood, nobody knows <laughs> the troubles I've seen. <laughs> you know, we'd be building resentment. One of those guys, I've been doing all the work around here, and we're, where's all the help and all of that stuff? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he's singing a worship chorus. You know, everybody ought to know. Or something, some Sunday school song stuck in his head, like apparently was stuck in mine there. And so, of course, no good deed goes unpunished, as they say. Verse 3 shows you how. So he's stoking the fire, and there's a stowaway in the bundle of wood. Now, clearly, that viper bites him, and that viper is poisonous. Uh, because you take a look at their reaction, they're waiting for him to blow up and fall over dead, right? And by the way, fastened to his hand, uh, vipers do not coil. He's fastened by his fangs into the hand, and he's dangling from his fangs from his hand. Now, for me, I don't need the venom to kill me, because I would be... (laughs) I would be way dead a long time before the venom even got in there. As soon as I saw the snake hanging from my hand, uh, it's all over. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I would be very happy to be on the streets of gold. Wow. So don't miss the second attitude. He shakes it off. Oh, snake. Whatever. Okay. Anybody want a cup of hot coffee? You know, just what? Excuse me, you just had a snake hanging from your hand. Yeah, well, it's dead, it's in the fire where all snakes belong. (laughs) (laughs) I think Paul's favorite word was whatever. (laughs) Do you know what this man has been through? I love shake it off. That's the second part. This is a man who knows how to listen to me, forget what lays behind. And looking forward to the great prize, the heavenward calling of Christ. This is his philosophy. It's his attitude. He could make a long list about all his woes, but he doesn't do that. You know, some of us, maybe even me, running around in circles. I can't believe a snake, a snake, a snake has been me, right? Uh, He doesn't start questioning God. Okay, God, listen. I've been good through the mob in Jerusalem. They try to kill me. You let that happen. 
right? And then I'm arrested. False charges, you let that happen. I was in the prison. They're trying to kill me, a plot to assassinate me. You let that happen. Where have I been for two years? Wasting away in Herod's palace. Yes, I've been sharing the gospel, but two years, I don't deserve this. And then you put me on a boat and what happens? A hurricane for three days, four days, five days, 14 days. Where were you? What were you doing with my life? Why would you put me on that boat? Why did you align the storm to come in that way? And then a shipwreck. Okay, I finally get to to terra firma, right? Is that how you say it? Or firm and terra. Firm ground. (laughs) And there I am. And now I'm trying to be helpful. (laughs) And you let a snake bite me. Last straw. You think I'm coming to church next Sunday? I'm not. (laughs) You think I'm greeting and making the coffee? Uh Uh-uh. No, because you've crossed the line. How many things, how do you expect me to still believe there's a loving God out there? He doesn't sit on a log by himself making a long list of all the ways that he has suffered in this life. He doesn't do that. He doesn't look at some of the guys and say, maybe if you guys weren't so lazy and maybe lent a hand, maybe this wouldn't have happened to me, right? Quote, nice comment here. here. Isn't this why many of us don't get very far in our Christian walks and do not do very much of significance for our master? We're too busy licking our wounds, overly self-absorbed, cataloging every negative thing that's ever happened to us, obsessing about things that we can do nothing about. Paul has no time for any such nonsense. And so he serves humbly, trusts God with the vipers that slither and the vipers that slander, and is happy to wait for heaven where God will sort out the details. Paul's motto is this, serve, trust, go forward. Serve, trust, go forward. Class, serve, trust, go forward. Now said like you enjoyed it. (laughs) Christians, oh, serve, love, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Now, yeah, but Paul had promises, okay? You have promises. You have the same promises Paul the Apostle has. And don't forget, and I have a happy face down here, don't forget, there's usually a viper hiding somewhere in the good efforts, the bundle of your service to God. And when it fastens on, do what Paul did. Shake it off. Trust God. Go forward. And serve. Amen. Amen. Come on. We can do this. Speaking of going forward, <laughs> verses 7 through 10. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days and entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. 
They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Let's pause there. We, we've seen the invincible attitudes of the messengers of the gospel, now the invincible gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can't chain it. You can't imprison it. You can't slow it down with a hurricane. Uh, you can't shipwreck it, and you can't kill it with a snake bite. That gospel is going to those Maltese whom God loves with an everlasting love, come hell or high water. There's nothing anybody could do about it. In fact, to the Paul who says, we've been blown off course. Why did you let that happen? God says, you weren't blown off course. And none of your Christian hurricanes come to blow you off course. They come to open up opportunities where God has opportunities for the gospel because it's not just about you and your comfort. Paul couldn't have gotten to Malta any other way. There needed to be a stop. And I don't think the prisoner could have said to the centurion, Julius, excuse me, but I feel like we should stop at Malta to share the gospel. (laughs) I don't think so. But God knew. So he's, he allows the storm. He allows the snake bite. How does Paul get into sea, in the Greek, the first man of the island? It means governor or president or king. He's the number one dude. How does Paul get in there? The snake bite, of course. The rumor's gone out. The island's not very big. It's 13 by 9 miles. Hey, there's a guy here. They've been talking all about him. He's always running around helping everybody. He got bit, bossed by a viper. We saw it. The snake was dangling, hanging from its teeth. You know the two-step snake. You know why they call it two steps? You take two steps, it's over. (laughs) (laughs) And he lived. He didn't blow up. He didn't swell up. He's fine. Hey, bring him to dinner. The snake bite, the shipwreck, it's all working together. All of our snake bites, all of our storms, they're working together. You may not see it now, but when you get to heaven and you find out, oh, there are, you know, I don't know how many hundreds Maltese will be singing around the throne of God because of a snake bite, because of a hurricane. And Paul will say, oh, that was the best hurricane and the best snake bite I've ever been through. To see those people in eternal life serving the living God because God used a little bit of our uh, suffering there. This is a beautiful thing. Listen, I've got a slide to show you. Jesus said they will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. There's two promises right there that just got fulfilled by the Apostle Paul. The translation of that verse says, listen, you're my man or my woman. You're serving me. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're you're on track with my will, given over to the purposes of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to stand in your way. Not a snake, not poison, nothing. You're good to go. You are immune from death and every other thing until God says, my work in you and through you is done and completed. In that time, you will go home to be with the Lord. Until then, my friend, you are invincible. That's what that verse is. The verse says, it just doesn't matter. You will not die 
an untimely death in the Lord. You will not. It will seem very untimely for us. But there's no such thing as an untimely death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. If he's all about the day of our birth and the day of our salvation, surely he's all about the day that we go home to be with him. And so uh, we can have confidence in that. And that's what the Lord says. And so uh, there's a little ministry here that begins. I love this guy, Publius. You know, sounds like a nice guy. He opens his house and he's taking in people and he's entertaining them. You know what the Bible says? He who refreshes others, they themselves will be refreshed. When you open your door, especially to God's people, there's a blessing for you. He didn't know by opening his door and being kind that now that kindness would come into the bedroom where dad is dying of something called Maltese fever. You'd get this terrible dysentery unto death with a fever. No known cure in that day. He didn't know by opening his home and showing kindness to somebody else that God would say, thank you very much. And now look what I can do with your dad. And so he goes in and he lays hands and, and, and the word there for healed is that instantaneous uh, miraculous heal. Interesting that when the rest of the island, small island, tiny, they all hear, they bring their sick and they're all healed. It's a different word and it can mean to heal over a process. It, it means that yes, they were healed but I think that it's telling us that Dr. Luke and Paul and Aristarchus had a medical mission there and that God the Holy Spirit was healing and using Dr. Luke and using medicine and traditional wisdom of that day uh, to work together. We have a, a missionary who does that same thing and he's coming in a couple Sundays and the stories are unbelievable. I'm going to put a couple pictures of, of them in action. They do the medical thing, but they pray and they bring the gospel. So there's another picture as well. Just an amazing person. They just pray over everybody and give them the medical care. I couldn't help but put it together and see this is kind of what was happening there on the island of Malta. Thank you for that, Adam. And so as a result, you can imagine after three months, they want to give back. And so they say, hey, you're taking the ship now. Let us supply everything you lost in the shipwreck. Because gratitude, wherever you go with the gospel and people receive the blessing of the Lord, it's universal. They just want to give back and bless. And we left India with gifts from them. It was humbling. What are you giving us gifts? We came to bless you guys. But uh, that's the way it is always. And so uh, the Greek says they honored us with many honors. And so... They really were grateful for sure. Now, let's finish up for this morning and get to Rome. After three months, verse 11, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian, an Egyptian ship with the figurehead of uh, twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Uh, We put in at Syracuse, the capital of Sicily, the time, and stayed there three days. There we went, we set sail and arrived at Regium, 
the tiptoe, I've got a map, I'll show you later, the tiptoe of the boot there. The next day, the, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached a puti, putili. Putili, you're going to say it like you're making a pizza. Putili. <laughs> there we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Wow, that was a long time. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius, which means the marketplace of this city, and the three taverns or three inns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And so that's as far as we're going to get before we take communion. But let me make a couple comments about this paragraph here. So we've looked at the invincible attitudes of God's servants and the invincible gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that just is unstoppable. And now take a look at the invincible bond of God's love, the love that we share as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, we have a quick map here of just showing the last part of the journey. So after three months, the sea lanes, I need the other map, I think. Well, I think this one will work. This one works as well. So after three months, they get on board and they're stuffed filled with provisions from the Maltese. They get to Sicily. They, they, they stop there, the capital. Then the tiptoe of the boot of Italy there. And then off to Putili. <laughs> there. And uh, there's a modern term that's even funner to say. It's, uh, let me see if I can find it. Puzzuoli. <laughs> Puzzuoli. <laughs> All right. And so uh, they're there. Now, they are going to make their way up now on foot, but they've got a week at Puzzuoli. They've got a week. Julia, uh, Julius is the centurion. Uh, he's got things to do. Because the sea voyage is done. They're going to take a five-day journey now by land of the Appian Way, very famous highway that still exists, parts of it you could still see. They're going to go from Puzzuoli now, and they're going to travel up to Rome on foot. But before they do that, Paul says, hey, would you mind if I go seek out my friends here? There's probably a church. And he finds them, and your text says, in the Greek, they prevailed upon them that they would stay with them. And so the Apostle Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, and probably a soldier, uh, go to these home fellowship groups and find the leaders, and they stay with the church there for one week. The love of the brothers and sisters of Christ, God arranges to say, before you go to Rome, you've been running on fumes. You need to be encouraged. And I've got a good idea. I'm going to give you a week with the church to love on you, to feed you, to rest. You could tell the stories. There'll be testimonies. They'll be praying for you. They'll be crying. They'll be eating. It'll be just a happy, uh, festive time with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Don't forget about perfect love casts out fear. The love of Christ must, listen to me, be manifest in a cooperative way, in a way, in an intentional way through the body of Christ because we need it. 
Paul needed it. Luke needed it. Paul's going to go face and he's, he's going to be beheaded. So he thinks, not this time, but he will be beheaded in the same place. But he needs that perfect love that casts out fear. And so God allows him. I can only imagine how wonderful it was there. So here's the part that gets me. So after the week, Julius, they arrive back together, say, let's go to Rome. And they start walking. And they come to the first place, which is Fair Havens. They are not Fair Havens, but I need the map again. They come first to, uh, it's not on this map, but they come first to the marketplace where there's a Christian delegation waiting. Now, the custom was, on this highway, when you had guests coming in that were of noble birth, an emperor or a king, you'd go out with a crowd to meet them and escort them back to Rome. So the Christians, your text says, hear about in Rome. Now, Paul had written the letter to the Romans uh, several years before. They know him because they're the Romans of the book of Romans. <laughs> and so those Romans are Romans, Romans, Romans. The first recipients to hear those beautiful chapters, they come out, they leave their jobs, they make time, and they travel 50 miles to meet him. Not at one place, but at two. So a large group is meeting at the first stop. Ten miles later, they're joined by a second large group. And commentators say hundreds of Christians cheering, welcoming. And it says, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. The brothers and the sisters came out and said, you may be coming up like some condemned criminal in chains but you're a hero and we're behind you and we're praying for you and they're shouting out scripture verses from Romans I'm sure Paul all these work together for good to those who love it right and he's hearing those words like come on man the love of God's people it is so you take away the love of God from the church or our hearts, if it's compromised in any way, let me assure you, man, the whole thing implodes on itself. You can't have a church without love. I refuse to go to one. I left the church because I felt it was cold. I didn't feel any love. I didn't feel any warmth. I didn't feel it. Ah, you got to have love. You got to have warmth. And, and what motivates that kind of love is to know there are people like Paul who are, who are snake-bitten and shipwrecked and cold and wet and, and just been through it. But God says, I got the cure. Amen. The love of God, the bond of Christian love. We have the same Lord, we have the same Father, the same blood that was shed in love that set me free from hell. Not from a shipwreck, but from eternal loss. That blood is applied to your account. And it's a shared rescue. And because of that shared rescue and that shared blood and that shared Father's heart, the Holy Spirit pours that love in so that when I go to India, 
I'm closer, my heart is burning in me. This young man pastoring with nothing, he's got two changes of clothes, and his new, newly uh, married wife. And they tell us, I told you the story, they tell us that he dropped out of seminary, he can't afford it, he doesn't have enough to eat. I said, go call him in here. I just heard him preach. I can't even talk to him in English. Call him in here. And he sits down and I'm like, my heart is pounding. Why? Don't know him. Man, do you want to go to seminary? Yes, I want to go to seminary. Oh man, I, I, I couldn't understand your preaching, but I get you. <laughs> I love you, man, and we love you. And we want you to go to seminary. And so $1,000 pays for his whole seminary, two full years, everything. So we're like, we're going to make that happen. Why? Why? Why should I care? What, why am I feeling a burning in my heart closer to him than my biological family who doesn't know the Lord in some ways? What is that? Why are they packing our suitcases full of souvenirs and take this to your wife and take this to, to the church and hang this in your office and feeding us till we gain 10 pounds from being there? <laughs> Why? The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I was listening to K-Love on the way in this morning and one of the guys was saying, you know, the scripture, the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And his point, which I loved, was we usually think of that as a response instead of uh, being proactive with that verse. So in other words, he was saying, uh, are you the loving person that goes around because you love a compliment so you're always filled with compliments? You love it when somebody puts their arm around you and you say, hey, I've, I've been noticing some things of, that you've been doing. Man, well, good job. Hey, you're doing great. I notice you're growing in your faith. Or thank you for this. Or, do you love that when people do that? Take notice of you? Give you a little attention? Look you in the eye? Like you're really important to them? You know how that feels? It's just like, wow, oh, I needed that. Do you do that? He was saying. How about when somebody just uh, lets you off the hook? You misspoke, even if you didn't misspeak. You, you spoke, it wasn't nice. They caught a wind of it. And they say, they make it easy. They cut you slack and just say, you know what, man? Who hasn't talked like that? I, I've done it. Hey, it's okay. Uh, I'm not going to be looking at your cross-eyed idiot. It's gone. Do you not love that? When they make, uh, cut you the slack that you don't deserve, do you do that? Be that kind of person. Everything that you would love to be treated in, the loving Christian thing to do is to be that person in a proactive way so that, listen, that the Pauls and the pastors and the Lukes and the Aristarchuses who need that, will get what they need so that the gospel can go forth so that when visitors come in here, they don't feel cold. And the reason they feel cold is because people are fighting. You know, they're fighting about, you know, what color the carpet was or, or did somebody not get invited to the home fellowship group or, you know, she always leaves me out. She never invites me. And, and if you have a church where that's going around, 
I'll tell you what, you can't hide that. You cannot hide it. You can feel it, right? And how do you think that affects the person who came to church looking for the gospel, looking for the Lord of love, and they come in and everybody's just kind of got their noses in the air. Be the one who forgives, cuts slack. Be the one who shakes it off and goes, whatever, I don't even remember. Was there a snake in the story? (laughs) That's what we have to do. The the worship team is going to come up going to lead us in, we're in a communion time because listen, and don't lose me right here. <laughs> Let me say this to you. You cannot expect to be that kind of loving person, listen, without massive motivation to be that person. And the only thing that will motivate you to act in ways that are contrary to your nature, to be that kind of loving person who can shake things off and serve with a humble attitude no matter what. Listen, the only thing that's going to change you to want to do it is that. The Lord's shed blood for you. Now I think of Jesus on the cross, I just got to watch the passion fast forward it then you could ask me to do anything. Ask me to do anything. Get the, I'll get the wood. <laughs> I'll get the wood. I'll make the coffee. I'll clean the bathroom. All I need to do is eye to eyeball with that Savior on that cross saying, Ross, this is for you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Paul speaking. Galatians chapter 2, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see what's motivating this attitude? It's not just because he wants to have a sunshiny attitude. It's because in, in some level of Paul's being lives the constant reminder of Christ on that cross taking the sins of a murderer and changing him into the best missionary that's ever lived. So he says, hey, I can do all things. I'll get the wood. (laughs) I'll get the wood. Through Christ, it gives me strength. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, these ideals are way out of our reach. (laughs) None of us can do any of this unless we're plugged into you and you in us and that you provide the life-giving ability through the Holy Spirit as we abide in your word and in uh, constant communion with the Holy Spirit. But as now we do, lock our gaze upon the cross of Christ and the Son of God, God the Son, on a cross of wood that you created, dying for our sins, coming to this world for us, to make us right with God and then waking us up so that we could have the faith that saves us from eternal loss. Thank you. Thank you, God. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, 
you're going to be served, and you're going to be served the cup and the bread. Hold on to it until we sing. I'll come back, we'll pray, and we'll take together. Now, if you're sitting here and you don't know the Lord, but you really want to, and you wish you did, it's so easy. Just bow your head and ask the Lord. You don't even have to bow your head. It's a change of heart that says, God, I am so sorry. I need you. Save me. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. If you do that, you're more than welcome to take communion. But besides that, it doesn't mean anything unless you've opened your heart to him, which you can do, which you can do. If you're uncomfortable being served for any reason, simply decline being served, and there's no problem with that. All right? Let's worship the Lord. Brothers, nobody wants to be the one to get the wood. Nobody. That's why there's few that get the wood. And when I say get the wood, just fill in the blank to apologize first, to let the person off the hook, to totally forgive and forget, totally, 100%. Nobody wants to be the one to serve the other one. Why should I do it first? All you need is one look. Look to the cross. Look at Jesus saying, hey, you'll be happy be other-centered. Let it go. Trust me. We'll work it out. Just worry about serving me. Keep your attitude like mine. Let this attitude of Christ be in you. And you'll be blessed. I can't do it. You can't. But if you get a look by faith, the Holy Spirit stirs that heart of yours. says, You hear him whisper your name from that cross. You can. You will. You will. It just takes a look sometimes. I'll tell you one more quick story. I was on the 11th floor there at UCSF getting a bone marrow transplant. I'm going to cry before I even get to that story. And uh, I was isolated for 60 days. I was serious. I'm all better now, by the way. I never finished the story. And I couldn't see my kids. For all of that time and all of that suffering, I couldn't see them because kids are, have a lot of germs, <laughs> as we all know. So Barb brought them to the sidewalk from the 11th floor. stuck right there, sorry. <laughs> That's all I needed. I was like, I got this. I got this. Just to look sometimes, just to look. I mean, at a husband or a wife that just surprise that person with something beautiful. Offer them something, a look that, that will make them say, I got this. I got this. Now that you've said and done that, and I've looked at that face, I saw Christ in that. I saw Christ in my kids saying, come on, Dad. You got this, right? Be the gift. Do I want to receive that? Oh. <laughs> Just stop. Be the one to do it, and God will make sure that it comes back around to you. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, think of this bread like my body 
just going to be broken. And in the same way that a meal keeps you alive physically, if you ingest by faith into your heart what I did on the cross with my broken body, it'll give you life, not physical life, but eternal life. So let's eat the bread. After supper, he took the cup and he said, think of this cup as my blood, the new covenant, the new arrangement. It doesn't depend on you to keep the law and bring a sacrifice because I am the sacrifice. Now the new way is trust the one God sent. That's the new arrangement, how to be right with God. (laughs) Trust the one he sent. And this is proof that you're okay. If, if God's own blood shed for your sins isn't enough, what is there? But it is enough. God is for us. So he took the cup and he said, as often as you drink it, remember me and the love and your safety in me. Let's drink together. Praise God. Let's stand together. We've got a closing song. We've got a very profound word for you. It's going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Listen, some of you have been through a lot. You've been through a lot. You can talk to us about the shipwrecks and the snake bites. I know. I've been through. It's going to be okay. God is for you. He's working this all out. Shake it off. (laughs) Shake it off. (laughs) You're right there. Shake it off. Stay humble. Serve and go forward. And before you know it, in a blink of an eye, we're going to be face to face with him. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore... Encourage one another with these words. Amen? Oh, I could preach a second sermon. (laughs) All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's pray together before I get started. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I just ask your tremendous blessing of peace and that you would take the words that were spoken, Lord, and and seal them and, and engrave them and burn them into our hearts, Lord, so that we could easily recall these truths that will keep us on the narrow road that leads to life and filled with blessing, building our house upon the rock, doing your will so that when the storms come, the winds can blow and the floods can rise and beat against that house and in the end it stands because we're doing your will. We thank you. I pray for those who have been shipwrecked and storm-tossed and snake-bitten God, that you would help them to rest in your love, to shake it off, and to trust you to serve and to go forward. We thank you for the grace of God and commit ourselves to your care in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said a hearty amen. Amen. And don't forget, there's prayer at the cross. All right, we'll see you either Wednesday or next Sunday. God bless you. You have been listening to Calvary Chapel The Rocks podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in San Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.